0: Those are the types of deals that I try to do now is those bigger package deals. Like I just did one yesterday, much smaller, six houses, right? So little baby package of houses. All I did was connect the buyer and seller. I probably could have made more on it, but I, I made 10,000 bucks profit, you know, just a check for never put up my own money, you know, just did a quick wholesale and, you know, made 10 grand. I mean, I'll take that. I've had other wholesales this year where I made almost six figures on a wholesale.
1: This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now welcome to the show. What's going on investors and welcome to episode 243 of the everything real estate investing show with Sean Pan. Today we have Blake Selby on the show. Blake runs a private money lending company and owns over 100 rentals free and clear. In this episode, Blake will tell us how he quickly scaled his rental portfolio by buying packs of houses at a time. He'll also share how he was able to find these deals and why he decided to transition into the lending side of the business. So if you want to learn more about wholesaling, as well as how to run a private money lending company, then you need to listen to this episode. If you're actively investing in real estate, and if you're looking for a hard money loan for your fix and flip projects, you can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Let me know that you're a podcast listener, and I'll give you a discount on our processing fees. And now, on to the show. Blake, thank you so much for being on our show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do.
0: Well, thanks so much for having me. Um, I am a private lender uh, who has a background in being a a landlord and real estate investor, so kind of been on both sides. Um, These days, I am uh, giving loans out uh, to kind of a, a segment of the Real estate investor population, um, and I've got some unique uh, ways that I do that. Um, but also, I've still got a, a large uh, portfolio that my staff manages for me, and uh, so I do that as well.
1: Yeah, so why don't you go ahead and tell us how you got started with uh, real estate investing?
0: Sure. So, graduated from Michigan State University, got a degree in kinesiology, which is totally unrelated to real estate investing. So, I went ahead and opened a gym uh, out here in uh, Davenport, Iowa area. And uh, so opened this gym and learned a lot about business through that wound up uh, toward the end of about a three year period doing that, getting a a nice offer on the gym, sold the gym uh, for a lot more than what I was into it for, which gave me a cash chunk to be able to kind of parlay into something else that was passive, which at the time, I really didn't know what I was going to do, kind of slowly stumbled into uh, real estate. I say slowly. uh, Within the first year, I got 80 units which is pretty aggressive. I uh, wound up, uh, yeah. When I do stuff, I, I'm just all all in. Um, so I wound up getting over 320 units, I think by 2018.
1: So like how long did it take you to build up that portfolio from when you started?
0: Yeah. So from 2015 to about 2018, so about three years to get over 300 units.
1: What the hell? <laughs> yeah. Wait, by yourself, were you like syndicating or partnering people? By
0: myself, which is nuts. Um, I was doing a mixture. I was just shotgun approach. Uh, what really got me rolling was one of the gym members was the VP of one of the local banks here that did in-house portfolio loans. And he gave me a million dollars to work with starting out. Uh, that was a massive leg up for me to be able to scale quickly. And then, you know, I wound up with millions and millions of debt at the end of uh, middle of 2019 with 320 units. And I was always making a lot of revenue. You know, we had six figures a month of rent coming in. Uh, But my overhead was huge and I was just noticing uh, that prices seem to have gone up a lot since 2015. So I said, why don't I just sell, you know, a couple hundred of these things off and then I could have the remaining hundred and some change paid off. Little did I know I would sell them a lot higher than I thought I would get for them and wound up doing just that, but then also having a seven figure cash amount sitting in my bank account afterwards. So, which I now, you know, loan out as well. So that was a good move for me.
1: Dude, that was crazy. It sounds like there's a lot of we have to unpack here. Okay. So first of all, let's talk about starting a gym at 22. Okay, when I was 22 years old, I had just graduated from college. Again, I have a degree in engineering, nothing to do with real estate investing. So how do you even go about starting a gym at 22? Most people would probably want to work in a gym sales office.
0: I got real uh, fortunate to have been a uh, trainer. I worked in gyms since I was 15, so I already kind of knew the business in and out. I'd worked at several gyms since I was 15, and then all throughout college, I uh, personal trained uh, you know people in and out of whatever classes I was taking. So that was my main income during college, and so I was really familiar with the whole gym scene. Uh, so by the time I went to uh, go you know do this gym, I was very familiar. Now there was a shell of a gym that was there that was losing like 6,000 a month. Um, And what I did is I went out and I had saved up some, a nominal amount of money from, um, you know, personal training. And I said, Hey, can I, you know, can I buy this, uh, you know, for a low amount, you know, and they were open to it because they were hemorrhaging money. So um, I, I started with a kind of the remnants of like an old mixed martial arts type gym with a, you know, had a component of bodybuilding training in it, where a lot of the members had some kind of a hookup or some kind of a reason why they didn't have to pay uh, full price. And so kind of on day one, we came in and just changed that entirely, uh, rebranded it, you know, basically opened a gym, you know, within a gym, essentially, um, to be able to attract a different kind of clientele. Not, Not that we excluded any of the clientele that was there, but just to open it up to more than just the most hardcore, you know, aggressive clientele. So that was a great, um, you know, transition. And also, I think that there were some business things there that I would have done differently uh, than what the existing operation was. So I stepped in day one, and I just really got rid of a lot of the overhead that was there. I wound up wearing most of the hats, which was super stressful at the time, waking up at 3 a.m. to go into the gym at 5 and then run it until 10 at night. Sometimes I'd sleep there on a couch, you know, overnight. So, anything I could do to just increase the cash flow. And then I was one of the first gyms in my area to go heavy on social media advertising. So, I think I spent like $36,000 on Facebook ads, which is just insanity. Well, maybe not anymore, but back then, that was 2012, 2013 when, you know, Facebook w- uh, advertising was you could get so much bang for your buck on it because not very many people were competing with you for ad space. You know, we ended up getting more likes than the YMCA in our area, which was just insanity within like a a year and a half period. So like we ended up with like 7,000 likes overnight. I mean, it was just insane.
1: And what made you want to sell the business? And then what did you get out of that sale?
0: Yeah. So the uh, sale into it was a six figure sale. Now I was probably into the gym for somewhere around 40ish, maybe 30, 40,000 um all in just because I bought it right and you know did pretty well with it. Um, and then when I sold it, um, I sold the gym along with wanting to continue to have the new owners lease a Property that I was intending on buying, which was a strip mall, which I'll kind of segue into, but that was my first real investment in real estate. So, all in all, it was like a $300,000 deal, which for me at the time, I was like, I'd never seen anything that big. So, I got this huge lease, which I used to leverage the bank loan to get the strip mall. Um, And then there were four other spaces in the strip mall, which I then, you know, fixed up, rented out, fixed up, rented out, and then I sold the strip mall. So, it was like kind of like a 3D chess, you know, play that I didn't even know I was going to do. It just kind of happened. So once all that happened, it was just eight ramped it up to 80 units ASAP. Um, but it was kind of sad to sell. I actually missed, you know, having a gym. It was fun. Um, I don't have the body for it anymore, but I was pretty ripped up back when I had that gym, I was training, you know, every single day and, you know, going hard. So
1: your first deal was a commercial deal and you basically flipped a strip mall.
0: <laughs> I flipped a strip mall, you know, and it was, uh, It was wild to think that, and then at the same time, right around that time, like within months, uh, I—that's when I got that million-dollar deal. So I was just buying up apartment buildings uh, right and left. So um, yeah, I guess you could say it was commercial all the way around because I think all the buildings were over four units. I think out here they classify that as commercial.
1: How did you even get a commercial loan? Just getting started with real estate investing.
0: Dumb luck it was, it was the guy that worked out at my gym and he happened to be the VP of a bank and my financials were all screwed up. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and he just decided, uh, I'm going to take a chance on you, do an in-house portfolio loan, which means that the bank doesn't necessarily have to sell those off. So their rigors and requirements are not to the same level. You no, know, and I, even back then I was getting, I got my loans like in the high fours, uh, as far as percent, which I, I was fine with, I'm still fine with that. So
1: yeah, so like this VP was able to give you in-house loan for high fours with like no fees and what kind of LTV were they offering you?
0: There were some fees in the beginning, you know, appraisal and originations and things. The LTVs were about 75%. So I was able to parlay, uh, you know, my gym sale and then, you know, uh, subsequent money from the you know the strip mall. Uh, I was able to refinance that out as well. So, you know, it, it worked out to where I could use my profits that I had in cash from the gym and from training and all the things as down payments. And then they would, you know, cash me out, you know, up to a million bucks in a 75% LTV situation. Um, but a lot of times that the 75% LTV, I was buying the property so much lower that I would have to come with hardly any down payment, which was great. So
1: Wow. That's so nuts. So then let's say after you sold your strip mall, why then go into multifamily? Why did you not just stay with commercial?
0: So the, the strip mall was happening as I was Prospecting apartment buildings. I, I thought originally, hey, I'm going to do apartment buildings, commercial. Um, that's going to be my jam. I don't even care about single family because you can't buy those cheap, or so I thought. And so I morphed after that first like year or two when I got those 80 units and you know got into 100 and some. Once that happened, my whole uh, thought process changed. You know, then I sold the strip mall and. I was noticing that the, uh, the smaller apartments were doing better than the larger apartment buildings, which is totally counterintuitive. It doesn't seem that that would be the case, but in my market, that's how it was working out for me in mostly class C, class B stuff. I'm sure class A, there's different rules, but then I, so I, I kind of slowly ventured into single family and I just was crushing it in the single family rentals, which is, I know contrary to what everyone says. Um, so I said, can I pick up packages of houses? So I remember one time just buying a shot of 74 houses in one shot and you know, I bought them on, mostly on contract. I had a, a down payment with it, but uh, bought it on contract for deed from a seller. And you know, these things were bringing in probably $700 a house, you know, for rent, which in my area is kind of a medium uh, amount, or it was at that time. I'm sure the rents now that it's 2021 20, and inflation and the housing markets up, those same houses would probably be in the eights and nines. But
1: So how do you even go about finding deals like this?
0: Yeah, I started uh, very archaically, uh, mostly through word of mouth, bandit signs. I was doing crazy amounts of bandit signs, direct mailers. I was trying to find anybody who owned, uh, you know, out of state landlords and you know stuff like that, and um, leaning heavily on attorney contacts of mine, you know, banker friends of mine, anybody that would know somebody, um, even a lot of realtors. You know, I reached out. Hey, do you know anybody who's got a, a ton of single family? Houses that they want to sell—that still works today. I'm—I uh, got a deal pending right now. I, I did made one phone call. A guy was trying to buy a package and I didn't have one, so I called up a, a old realtor buddy of mine that I had talked to. and said, "Hey, man, what do you got for packages?" He said, "Oh, I got a 47 pack that's, you know, not even listed yet." I said, "Okay, we got to let's make a wholesale on this, you know." So I don't wholesale a lot, but when I do, I make pretty good money on it.
1: So there are people out there who just happen to have like 47 properties that they want to sell at once. Or 70 properties they want to sell all at once.
0: Way more than than you would think. And maybe that's because it's the Midwest. Maybe it's because it's Iowa, Illinois. I'm right on the border, by the way, of Iowa and Illinois, but the pricing out here is just so much different. And the the way that maybe people on the West Coast or the East Coast, you know, they're paying thousands a month for rent, and that's normal. Out here, a lot of the rents in the B and C neighborhoods are under a thousand, or they're barely touching the, the early thousands. So sometimes the expense ratios for landlords out here can be very high because your rent coming in isn't isn't all that much. And then you get nickel and dimed with code enforcement and you get nickel and dimed with, you know, utility bills that the tenants are supposed to be paying. But if they don't pay them, uh, then guess who gets stuck with them? Um, And if you don't pay them, then it becomes a lien on the property. So you get stuck with them either way. So sometimes you'll have a tenant that's maybe paying rent. But they've got all these maintenance issues and all these you know other shenanigans that are coming up, and that seven hundred dollar a month rent. All of a sudden, you've made fifty dollars only, and that's if you're self managing. If you have to pay a property manager, then that's gone too. So that's one, I guess, pitfall. Single family homes uh, is that yes, you're getting a lot on paper. They look great. You know, you're getting seven hundred a month rent. Your taxes out here are maybe a hundred dollars a month, okay, on average. So you've got a six hundred dollar spread. Well, yeah, that's until. You've got code enforcement and um, you know all the other nickels and dimes. Tenants leaving trash outside. they come and, The city will come and bill you. Uh, the tenant doesn't mow their lawn. Well, now they're going to send you a $200 bill for the city to come mow your lawn. So those are the things that you just have to really look out for when you're doing single family packs.
1: So if you're buying like a portfolio of properties, let's say that 70 property portfolio that you were given, what did you have to pay for that?
0: I think on that one, I paid about 800,000, which I know that's nuts. I know that sounds unreal. Um, So that's just over 10 a house, probably 12 a house, somewhere in there is where I averaged on that. Um, And then I went ahead and turned that around, sold that exact portfolio for 2.1 million.
1: Dude, that's crazy.
0: That was a good come up. Um, You know, I did well off of that. You know, so those are the types of deals that I try to do now is those bigger package deals. Like I just did one yesterday, much smaller, six houses, right? So little baby package of houses. All I did was connect a buyer and seller. I probably could have made more on it, but I, I made 10,000 bucks profit, you know, just a check for never put up my own money, you know, just did a quick wholesale and, you know, made 10 grand. I mean, I'll take that. I've had other wholesales this year where I made almost six figures on a wholesale, similar deals, maybe a larger deals. Like one of them was a million dollar, like 40 house pack of uh, where I made like 75,000 uh, commission off of that. So, you know, there's some. I would say my wholesaling uh, stuff, I don't even really aim to wholesale. It just happens because I'm doing all these loans. Um, my staff, uh, you know, runs like 400 units for you know some of the people that we uh, work with. So, you know, we, we just meet a lot of people. And so we meet sellers and then we meet buyers. And then it's like, well, when a seller says, hey, I've got X amount of uh, properties to sell and a buyer says, hey, I've got X amount of money. Can you find me something? Yeah, I'm going to buying them something and I'm transparent with them. I let them know I'm going to, Hey, you mind if I make something on this? No, they don't care. As long as it's a great deal. So
1: yeah. And how do you go about financing a portfolio like this?
0: Yeah. So as far as the actual, um, financing, most of the time, if I'm buying them, which I don't really do anymore, I'm not in acquisitions mode anymore. I'm just trying to, if I'm, uh doing anything besides private lending, which is 95% of what I do now. But if I'm doing anything besides private lending, it's really just a wholesale. But back when I was buying, I would always aim to do seller financing wherever possible, uh, because normally the interest rates that I was getting, at least, really weren't any higher than the banks, sometimes lower. They didn't have the fees that the banks had. And so I was trying to get the sellers to finance the property. Also, when you do one of those, you're not personally guaranteeing them. So if you happen to default, or if you realize that the package isn't working out, all you're out is your down payment, which in some cases, my down payment was very low, sometimes zero. So,
1: so I guess you go over this particular example, this 74 unit or portfolio deal. What was your down payment requirements?
0: Yeah, old guy, uh, just getting out of them. I had to, I think his title work just to get all that done was like 30,000 bucks. I mean, it was huge to get just the way that everything was for us to clear it out to where, even though he had no loans on it, for us just to clear out the properties and get the deeds all cleaned up and everything. It's probably like 30 grand. So that's what I came up with on a 74 house pack. I mean, you see, you, you don't need a lot of money to get rolling in this game if you don't you know want to. So.
1: So he seller financed the rest of it. Yep. Like the whole purchase price. And what are the terms that he was giving you for that?
0: I think he did like maybe four and a half percent somewhere in there. Uh, I think it was a, uh, it was a five year balloon on a 20 year am pretty similar to a commercial bank would have done at the time. But yeah, I thought they were really fair terms and I would have just held on to them except for I got this, you know, opportunity to make seven figures. So like, why wouldn't I, you know?
1: Yeah. And what would you have done? Uh, I guess, what would they have sold for if you sold them off piecemeal? Like each, each property, what do you think they're worth?
0: Yeah, maybe I could have got an extra, you know, 15%, you know, on each of them. But I, I feel like I got a rate that was pretty reflective of the asset. Um, the other thing is when you go to sell one of them piecemeal, you're selling to a different type of uh, client. So instead of selling them to a, uh, you know, an investor, you're having to now sell them a lot of times to, you know, single family home buyers. So now they've got all these inspections and they've got realtors that are, you know, with uh, buyer's commissions. And so, yeah, I might make an extra eke out of maybe 15, 20% more per house, but then to get it ready for selling those things, and I've got to go to all those different closings, get all the, you know, it's, so I think we saved some money on the attorney's fees by just selling them all in one shot too.
1: Yeah, so I guess what I'm asking is like, what do you think it's worth, like individually, like thirty thousand, thirty-five thousand per property? Probably. Yeah, and they rent for about seven hundred each.
0: Yeah, about seven hundred each.
1: Nice. I guess that's what you get in the Midwest, right? The two percent rule.
0: Yeah, and I can find those pretty pretty regularly. Uh, you know, when people come to me, and I just had a guy come to me the other day, and he's like, "Hey, I have a quarter mil to put down. I want you to find me something for a million bucks." And I found him a forty-seven unit pack of houses, you know, pretty quickly within within a couple of days. So, you know, but I wanted to make sure his money was really there before I go and, you know, shake the tree. When I come to somebody and say, hey, I'm ready to buy, or I'm ready to, I have a buyer who's ready to buy. I don't want to flake out on them. I want to be, you say, hey, we're ready to move. You know, and I don't want them to question whether it's a it's a sure thing with me or not.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, remind me again, why did you decide to no longer like buy more properties and why go into lending versus owning more rental properties?
0: Uh, I was sort of dabbling with lending like back in 2017, just like here and there. I do one loan, two loans, if it made sense. The returns are pretty high. I'm getting pretty good percentages, you know, at least 12, you know, minimum 12% uh, on my loans. So I, I saw that, and I saw, hey, could I? Is there a way that I can really safely do lending, like maybe like 50% of what it's assessed for, or something like that? And uh, initially, I didn't think I'd get that much um, response for those type of loans, but that's not been the case. I have to. I have to choose. I have so many on my desk. I have to choose the best ones. The reason I don't do acquisitions necessarily anymore is unless it's an extreme case where I'm just a, a complete moron if I don't buy it. But the reason I don't do acquisitions anymore is because I don't want my lending clients to think that I'm competing with them for their deals. So if they bring me a deal, I don't want them to think that I'm going to suddenly you know, buy it for myself or something like that and it just it makes me really good at one thing which is just the private lending and my staff is now geared up for that so every time that I hand over a, a loan lead to my staff they know what they're doing with it they know we're not buying it you know they know they're just they have to write up an LOI and you know get a, a lender's policy put together with the local attorney there and you know get the uh, promissory note and the mortgage put together or deed of trust if it's in a deed of trust state so
1: how you have to foreclose on anyone yet
0: uh, not really. Uh, we've usually been able to work out a deal with somebody. See my loans are so low compared to the value of the property that I don't think anyone would let me foreclose on them. They would just sell, you know, before that happened. So that was my main goal. I didn't want to be a shop that did a lot of foreclosures. I know how to do one. Have I done them in the past? Occasionally I think I've done maybe two or three, but it's much better to avoid that in my business for what I do. Cause I don't want to get hung up. I want the money to come back to me pretty often. Um, in shorter term loans where it can boomerang back to me uh, then I can redeploy it in something else. So if I'm charging 12 percent, let's just say for a one year period, most people are gonna pay me back shorter than that year. I've got guys that only pay me back in three, four months, but I still you know charged a flat rate for the year. So my 12 percent suddenly becomes 18 twenty percent when you think about it that way.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, a lot of people ask me the same question too because I'm a hard money lender and they ask, oh, are you trying to like, get the property from people. And it's like, no, we actually don't because we're not really in the business of handling real estate. Like you're supposedly the professional, you're the investor. And if you fail, how are we gonna succeed, right? We wanna trade paper. That's what we're good at, so.
0: Yep, and and foreclosures can take, you know, in Illinois it can take up to two years to do a foreclosure. Um, Iowa's I think a little bit less, but I don't wanna be sitting around dinking around with a lawyer thing and, you know, have my money tied up for that long. I'm just losing percents the whole time. and. If you really are in the business of just try and snake people out of their houses, your name is going to get smeared, you know, through the mud. I mean, it's going to be bad. So,
1: mm-hmm. and so you mentioned you have a staff. Um, are you just lending out your own funds, or do you have like other people that you're lending money out for? What does your operation look like? Most of
0: most of the funds are just my personal funds at the moment. So I've got four full time employees. Uh, we have a you know an actual office and everything too. This is just my private office that I'm in right now. But you know, they do a wonderful job. And as far as that's a good question you ask, do you loan out, you know, other people's money? Do you do use other people's money to to sort of have them buy loans. So that's an area that I'm wanting to expand in. Um, I don't get a lot of requests for people to buy, you know, mortgages. They, they more people come to me to buy properties than they do to buy mortgages. Although I would love to, you know, turn them on to you know, say, Hey, you know, this is an alternate kind of asset. You should look at this. I mean, look at buying debt on a property as opposed to just buying properties alone. You can balance your portfolio and kind of have almost like a bond-like structure You know, with your uh, property debt. As long as you get it low LTV enough, you could get it to act like a bond and kind of be a, a risk mitigator and a diversifier in your portfolio. The folks that you know get a hold of me, most of the time they want properties. And I think that's because owning debt isn't as sexy. You can't make a Facebook post online or it's not as attractive to say, oh, hey, I, I just bought uh, some debt on a property. You know, people want to say, oh, no, I bought a property. And so part of why I'm getting out there more now, and, you know, on social media and just media in general, uh, is because I want to educate people that there's a, an alternative, you know, investment vehicle, and that is owning debt and trading debt. I don't know that i would buy a mortgage and then sell it to someone i think what i would uh, more so do is just be a matchmaker so basically i would say hey there's this guy over here who's got this loan that came across my desk i, I would be okay with allowing you to buy that instead and maybe just give me a matchmaker fee almost like wholesaling a, a, a loan if you will
1: i mean they're called brokerage fees right so <laughs> you would be a, a mortgage broker basically
0: exactly And what i want to do is i want to keep myself Away from being a broker, and so what I think what I would do is just have them pay me, um, just kind of a consulting fee, like maybe outside of the closing, so that my, you know, so that I didn't have to go and get, you know, a license to do all the things that would I think. Uh, and if somebody's really going to screw me over, you know, on uh, a little matchmaking fee, what's their loss? You know, they'll get one loan. I've got so many loans coming across my desk right now. I'm picking the A plus loans, but there's a lot of like A plus loans that I just can't fund or I don't want to tie up my cash that quickly. So I'm just picking the cream of the crop, but there's many great loans that I would recommend people to, to buy that, you know, uh, assuming I had hundreds of millions of dollars, I would just gobble them all up, but I don't have that kind of bandwidth. And so for that reason, I do the same thing with wholesaling. I usually don't lock anybody into like a, a contract or anything like that. Uh, and I don't have my name anywhere near the, the statements. If somebody's not willing to pay me a, a finder's fee or uh, whatever you want to call it, a matchmaker fee. Then uh, I just won't do business with that person, and it's their loss if they screw me on one deal. Because most of the people who make money with me on you know either buying properties or what have you is by doing ten plus deals with me. You know, long term relationships. That's how I see it, anyways. So,
1: yeah, absolutely. And what would you say is different about your loans versus someone else, like an institutional lender? Like, wh- why would they go to you in the first place?
0: Some big differences on my loans. So, the and not that mine are better, they're just different, right, from anyone else's. So, I don't dog anyone else's loans uh, or styles that they do. I just have this one way that I do it. I have no upfront fees. I charge no points, which those two things are crazy in and of themselves. And I don't do appraisals, which is crazy. So, there's no appraisal fee, there's no doc fees, no origination fees. And here's the kicker no monthly payments. So, if you stack all those together, it's very hard to find. Um, So I'm getting paid out when the flipper finishes the property and sells it and or when someone who's maybe not a flipper just using me to acquire property when they refi me out. So those are the times when I get paid. But until then, these people actually never pay me anything. And the reason I did that is because I came across so many people who had been scammed um, online. Uh, There's some wonderful hard money lenders out there that would never even dream of scamming someone. But the folks that came to me... uh, had experienced really uh, bad things, and so I think I'm picking up a lot of those folks who just don't even want to shell out anything on a loan, uh, as far as a fee. And so I get a lot of those uh, short-term, you know, flippers or people that want to use me to acquire the property. They know I'm a little more pricey than the average lender, especially a, a local bank. But they're making so much money on this particular transaction that my, my little extra fee. Uh, When you take out the fact that I don't have all the normal upfront fees and I don't charge the monthly overhead and the appraisals and things, it kind of balances out. And I think these particular folks in this small area that I lend to, I think they appreciate not having the monthly payments and some of the overhead, initial overhead. So they would rather pay me more on the back end than have some of those uh, initial costs.
1: Can you kind of go over what are common LTVs that you lend on and what are your typical rates?
0: So I'm a very conservative lender. So if the property, let's say it's assessed for a million dollars, okay? Probably you're not going to see me go much higher than half a mil on it. I mean, which is uh, very low compared to a traditional bank on, you know, which you might find on the corner that has uh, more of like a 75% LTV. And the reason I do that, especially in this economy, is because I think that the the property values right now are just, and not just properties, but stocks and everything, are so high relative to their earnings from what we've seen in the past but I do worry that maybe we're in kind of, as Mike Dr. Michael Burry says, uh, who predicted the 2008 uh, financial crisis, an everything bubble. you know, and, and so I do worry a bit about that. So these days, especially, I'm very conservative with my LTVs. If you can get past my LTV, it's very easy to use me in every other capacity. So we use a local attorney in your area where you can physically walk in and sign docs there. Because you don't know me. I could just be some schmuck. I'm not. But uh, we want to make sure that they have a brick and mortar facility, five star rated, you know, attorney and title company that they can walk into and feel comfortable about the transaction Then it also covers my butt because I want to make sure I'm in compliance with all the local lending laws. And then if something does go south, I have somebody who, you know, has professional insurance that I can reimburse from. So,
1: um, So I'm guessing you guys don't take seconds and you will also not go in second position, right?
0: I don't take seconds or go in second position. I applaud those who do because it's nice for investors. Um, I would love to build up my network of people who do take seconds. So, because I get a lot of uh, requests for me to take a second and I don't know who to refer them to. So, if you're, I guess, if you're out there, if you're a second lien position lender, um, I could probably uh, refer you a lot of business. But i just don't know a lot of guys that are true second lenders who are uh comfortable with that but if, if there are uh, some out there i'd be more than willing to give some referrals if they were good and weren't scamming so
1: yeah what are some of the like hard money lending scams that you've heard of because i work as a hard money lender but i actually don't even think i know what scams are out there
0: the most common is the upfront fee lender scam or the fee, what they call the fee collector lender scam uh, which is where they'll take outside of escrow, they'll uh, ask these people to pay money basically just to apply for a loan. And it's not something obviously that you would do, but I've heard of people having to pay us upwards of $5,000 outside of escrow to some somebody to, you know, for, I guess, points. See, these people might not have the legal wherewithal or the experience to know that this is not what they should be doing. So essentially it's escrow wire fraud without the escrow. So that's something to uh, really watch, and a lot of times they'll get away with it because these folks don't have the legal means. The second type of scam that I've seen commonly is a bait and switch scam, where they'll agree on terms, get through the whole appraisal process. These people will have money down, and then the lender says, "Oh, you need to close in two days." Well, guess what? Yeah, that original rate we were going to charge you—I think that's going to be a higher rate now. You know, so they'll do a bait and switch type of scam. Um, Another thing is like a terms—I guess it fits in with that—but like a terms too good. Kind of thing where you'll see uh private lenders hard money lenders that will say oh you know we'll do uh 90 ltv or 95 percent ltv for a 30 year uh no balloon at four percent like come on guys like they would not be advertising that that's crazy that's ludicrous i don't know anyone the industry uh average is somewhere between i think six and fifteen percent for for a typical uh, hard money uh you, you might have a different metric but that's what i've seen you know, more typically kind of in that range. So when I see these extreme terms, I would just tell people to be aware of that. Also like check into the person who's doing your lending. Like you have a podcast, you've got a social media following and a presence. So look for somebody who is more established like that and doesn't have three Facebook friends and a scammy looking profile picture. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I I kind of understand what you're saying here. I do know that some of these like fees though, I think some, are legit. So I think you have to be careful, like you have to make sure that you're paying their legit kind of fees. So like some of them have appraisals, right? And especially if you're doing large commercial buildings, you have to pay for that. Like the lender doesn't want to front that stuff.
0: I agree with that. Not all fees are scams. I will reiterate what you just said. Not all fees are scams. You just have to be careful about who's charging the fees. And then you want to make sure that those fees are in the escrow, in the, with somebody, a reliable person that's handling this money and trust. You don't want to be sending it off to somebody uh, that you just met online uh, without having an attorney involved or having a title company involved in some way. So,
1: Yeah, and always get referrals, I think, for anything you do. Always make sure you kind of know the person somehow. Don't just work with someone you don't really know.
0: Totally. And hard money lenders are not bad. And other, you know, maybe private lenders that gear toward, you know, more traditional because a lot of people that you'll go to do have origination fees and, and uh, you know, appraisal fees and things like that because they really do appraisals. So I personally don't do appraisals. Um, I go with my gut. But uh, with that being said, a lot of times my appraisal will be somebody doing a video walkthrough with one of my staff members walking through a property so that we can see, you know, what's going on. And if that's not suffice, sometimes we'll send somebody out or do an appraisal at that time, but it's very rare. But that's not to say that an appraisal is a, is a bad thing to have done. So I will, you know, I just happen to be over here in, uh, in left field with, with how I do it. Uh, But that doesn't mean that that's the only way or that that's the chosen way. It's just the way I've chosen to do it. It keeps the cost down for everybody. Um, And then the reason I don't do monthly payments, which are very common with normal loans, is because mostly just because I don't want to track it. So it's just easier for me to just set it and forget it. I don't need that monthly income for anything specifically. It's just chump change, you know, with those little monthly installments. So for me, I prefer just to not even mess with it. Um, And then if somebody you know, wants to pay me off, then I know that that loan's done and I don't have to go back through and try to calculate up how much have they paid and, you know, try to uh, have all those separate transactions because accounting is a nightmare, you know, in in this business, especially when I had 320 units. Um, The accounting and the bookkeeping is so challenging if you don't have the right staff. So,
1: yeah, I mean, by doing it this way, you don't even have a servicing company, right?
0: Don't need a servicing company. It just simplifies it for me. It doesn't mean that that's the only way, uh, that the only right way to have it done. Because somebody like yourself, I'm sure you charge most, most do charge uh, monthly, you know, payments. Mm-hmm. I, I, yep. And why, why wouldn't you? I mean, it, it makes sense because that's what uh, commercial, you know, banks do and traditional banks do is they'll charge monthly payments, appraisals, originations. I just wanted to offer something that was a very uh, simplified down version of a private loan. And for some people, it's easier for them to wrap their mind around it and they know exactly what's going on. And there's not a lot of paperwork, not a lot of fine print. But for me, it's more I don't want to tie my staff up with having to track and bookkeep through all that. Um, It's better for us just to go attack more leads that way. And, um, you know, once in a while, we'll get somebody that gets to their D-Day and they say, hey, I don't have the money. I'm like, "Okay, well, how much do you have? They'll say, oh, I've got X amount. Well, okay, let's try to work something out here. I'm not trying to sit there and, uh, you know, uh, do foreclosures because it's such a pain. So,
1: yeah. Um, What are your typical like minimums or maximums for loan amounts? Or do you even have them?
0: Yeah. uh, We've gone down as low as five, 10 grand for little micro loans. Of course, we're going to charge a lot more uh, on those and we're not going to, you know, the vehicles through which we do those might uh, look a little different from a paperwork standpoint, but maximum loans. I mean, we have the capacity to do seven-figure loans. So, I mean, that's not anything that's scary for us to do. But smaller loans, I tend to actually do better on. So anything that's kind of under a quarter million, I seem to do uh, more of those. And I have capacity to do more of those as well. Uh, But we find that a lot of flippers will come to us. Hey, you know, some flipper came to me today and he's like, hey, man, I've got 100000 saved up. For me to get this job done, I'm going to need about another hundred thousand. So I'll contribute. This is him talking. I'll contribute a hundred thousand. Can you also contribute a hundred thousand? I mean, for me, I don't think he's going to walk away from a hundred thousand dollars. I don't think he's going to do it. So for me, I didn't have to, you know, charge him all that much. I think I'm only charging him maybe twelve or thirteen thousand for a one year period, which is twelve or thirteen percent. Um, and that was a deal I felt very safe with because he's contributing the same amount I am, and he's not going to walk away from that. So. Uh, But, yeah, I do better under a quarter million.
1: Okay. And then uh, are you limited in where you can lend in?
0: You know, so far, I think we're in about 11 states that we've got active loans in. But I'm sure there's probably some kind of a limitation outside of the United States as far as, like, where we can loan. Can we loan in Canada? Can we loan in Mexico? I'm so far from needing to explore, like, those uh, limitations, I would say I'd probably want to be maxed out here in the U.S. before I even thought about going into Puerto Rico or, you know, one of these other places that I get, uh, and I know Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory, but again, I wouldn't know the laws there. And I would feel like I was just opening myself up to a kind of a market that I didn't understand. So,
1: Right. But within the U.S., are you comfortable lending?
0: As long as I've got a local five-star, you know, big lawyer office and title company there that's making sure I'm in compliance with everything because different states have different laws and I need to make sure that I am, if I, if I'm not an expert in that state, like I'm looking at one in Arkansas right now and that's a state I've never done before. Um, I don't know a, a lick about Arkansas and I'm sure it's a wonderful place, but I, I've never been there. I don't know anyone there. Um, so this would be kind of the first time I've ever venturing. So it's nice for me to have a, a, a top rated, you know, attorney, uh, that's got, uh, you know, a good, um, reputation to be able to kind of push the paperwork through on some of that
1: cool uh so what would you say is next for you
0: um i think mostly just kind of doing what i'm doing just more private loans i'm at a position in my life now where where i have no debt and i'm uh making more than i'm spending uh which is a you know always what uh, i guess everyone wants to get to but i'm not a super super fancy person i think i've mentioned this in maybe another uh interview that i did but i'm I'm not a real fancy person, so I live in one of my buildings, my apartment buildings. I've got a nice apartment. It's you know very beautiful. It's got a you know twelve foot ceilings, walk in closets, stuff. But for me, I don't see myself needing a McMansion or a. You probably won't catch me on like a private planes or like you know uh, on on large boats or anything like that. And more power to the people that are into that stuff. That's that's great for them. I just think I'm more of a, a simple person. Uh, And so for me, I think what's next is just doing more of the same, building the business up, getting the revenue stream while also maintaining a a large cash position, which we have. Because going into the next downturn, whatever the next 2008 or 1987 um, or dot-com bubble or whatever you have, I want to be ready. Uh, Warren Buffett has a quote that says, if you want to catch a whale, you better have that harpoon ready. You can't wait to see the whale uh, to go get your harpoon. So that's what I'm trying to do is have the, the cash harpoon ready for whenever uh, opportunity really strikes and there's, I guess, blood in the streets, uh, so they say. So.
1: And then would you go back to buying these like large portfolios again?
0: You know, I think there's always a price point when I might jump back in. I think the the current market right now makes it really uh, a huge barrier to entry because everyone and their brother right now, uh, I was talking to uh, my uh, lady who cuts my hair and um, I think she's getting a, a rental property, you know, and I think that's when, you know, it's when the cab drivers and the hairstylists, when they start going in and and real estate investing, I think that's when you know you're kind of getting closer to a market peak, whether or not it's going to crash or just slowly correct, who knows. But um, I do worry uh, that we are in kind of a a bit of a a bubble to some degree with securities in general, not just real estate, but uh, assets in general, asset bubble. But uh, who knows? No one knows the future. It could go up another 50 percent and you know, and then I would sound very foolish (laughs) trying to make a prediction. So,
1: yeah, I mean, like we had a pandemic last year, but all the stocks went up like two times. So it's, it's nuts.
0: Exactly. And you know, Boy, do I wish uh, back in that March when the Dow went from 30-something down to 18, uh, boy, do I wish I had, uh, you know, a million dollars cash at that time. Uh, that was right when I was selling through everything and getting my last payments for everything. So I didn't have the big cash reservoir at the beginning of 2020. It was like mid-2020 when I uh, was able, right during the pandemic is when the, the big cash uh, amounts started flowing through. It was interesting to watch that. I remember watching the Dow plummet from like, almost 30 down to uh, 18 and just these reputable stocks just getting hammered. And I think uh, Bill Ackman was, uh, he's a a big hedge fund manager. He was on, uh, it was CNBC uh, that was watching. He was on CNBC and just talking about how we're entering the second great depression and the the COVID apocalypse. And as he was talking, the market was just sinking. Everyone was like, get him off air, get him off air. (laughs) Everyone was just panicking. So that would be a great, I want to be buying during those kind of periods. Um, the real estate didn't get hit, but at that time the stocks did, I mean, anytime you want to buy a security or buy an asset, you kind of want to be buying when they're on sale, when they're on discount. So
1: makes sense. Um, do you have any last tips for our listeners before we end our show today?
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, I think do business with people that, Uh, you don't feel like you have to, uh, do much more than a gentleman agreement kind of thing with you want to do business with people that are trustworthy, that have good, uh, reputations that you're comfortable with. And you don't feel like you have to watch your back around as much. I've always found that rule to be good, uh, with what I do just do business with people that are similar value structures to what you have and, you know, are in this to break bread with you, not just take your bread. So,
1: yeah, that's awesome. Well, Blake, thank you again so much for coming on our show today. How can people get in contact with you?
0: Thanks for having me. Um, they could uh, just go on any of my social media, Blake Selby or Selby Rentals. Uh, SelbyRentals.com is my website. Um, that's got all my contact info on it. Um, but that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Thanks so much for this opportunity. I appreciate it.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, Let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.